My name is Chip Dimitri. I'm the worship arts director here, and it is my privilege this morning to bring the next in our summer worship series. And we're going to look at Psalm 96 this morning, but um, there was actually another scripture that I um, really struggled with whether I wanted to teach from this scripture. Um, I felt like the the message was pretty obvious, um, but I thought I would at least just read it for you, and that way we could all glean from, uh, from this wisdom. It's a paraphrased version coming from 2 Kings. Um, Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. <laughs> What's so funny? I don't... <laughs> Elisha turned around and looked at them. He cursed them, and two bears came out of the woods and mauled them. So you can see that's a pretty self-explanatory message um, leading me to want to do Psalm 96 this morning. Um, so this morning, before we jump into Psalm 96, I want to show you a video as an introduction. It's a powerful illustration of what we will look at in Psalm 96. And as a way to set up what you're going to see in the video, I want to tell you that it's a true story about the Mok tribe in Papua New Guinea. The tribe had never heard the gospel or even the name of Jesus. They had had very little exposure to the outside at all. In fact, they had some really strange beliefs, like that they had descended from birds. The missionaries you'll see in the video had spent months just learning the language, And once they had learned enough of the language, they began sharing scripture with them, sharing stories with them um, using a method called chronological Bible storytelling. And basically what that means is instead of the typical approach, which is to, to start with the gospel and to start with Jesus, they started actually with Genesis and creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abraham and Isaac. And so up to this point in the video, they've been hearing these stories of the Old Testament for months. Um, They had been hearing about how God had created the world perfectly and had fellowship with man in the garden, but that man had sinned and broken that fellowship, but that in God's mercy, he uh, provided a sacrificial system by which man could have communion with him, a system that required blood to cover sins. And so that's where the video picks up. Let's watch that. For two months... We taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior, born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, they fell in love with Him and Jesus became the Mok hero. They loved Him and they idolized Him. Never during the weeks Mark taught did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers. And when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times the moke were so intense they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect. 
and he could do anything. He was God. Day finally came to explain the betrayal by Judas and the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Judas's betrayal was upsetting to the most, but they still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the gospel presentation. At the end of it, we said, Tomorrow we will finish our talk. The next morning, the people were all gathered before sunrise. I told the story of Jesus appearing before Pilate. The people were very sober. When during our skit they saw Jesus being spit upon, beaten, and finally put to death, they were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them, very powerful. The Savior was alive. Then I went back into the Old Testament stories and beginning with Abel, explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice, just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac, I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, so Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe! I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that he died in my place. He is my sin bearer. I lived in fear trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God in his grace has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. On that day, almost all the village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Mok are generally a restrained people, but as the gospel sunk in and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened. <laughs> Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Itao. 
village grammar rejoicing that he believes. So does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itau, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. I've seen that video probably 20 times and I still get choked up when, when I watch it. It's a powerful picture of worship, one that inspires us and can teach us volumes about what worship is. So as we look at Psalm 96 this morning, I want us to keep this video in mind. It's a great picture of what we're going to see here. So let's jump in. This is Psalm 96 and I'll read it and it'll be on the screen as well. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord and the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who illuminates your word to us. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning, that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate truth to us this morning in this passage. I pray that what is not of you, Lord, would fall on deaf ears, but what is of you, Lord, would penetrate all of our hearts deeply and transform us to be more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that worship begins and ends with God. In fact, worship in its simplest understanding is simply a response to God for who He is and what He has done. So in order to respond, we must know Him and what He has done. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. You know, sometimes I think it's the littlest words in scriptures that can sometimes be the most powerful and encouraging. And for me, that's the case here. The psalm begins with the little word, oh, a word that conveys a great depth of feeling, almost a gasp at the greatness of God. And then that's followed by a call to worship the Lord by singing. The psalmist implores us three times to sing to the Lord. Singing is a natural way to praise the Lord. In fact, this is the first of more than 70 references just in the psalms alone about God's people singing to him. But worship, of course, is much more than music, much more than singing. But clearly God wants his people to sing whether you have a good voice or not. Each week during our summer series, we're highlighting one element of the worship experience, the corporate worship experience. And this week, we're highlighting worship through song. And I'm going to talk more about that as I go along. But I also wanted to encourage you to go to the Green Tree website, greentreechurch.com, and you can click on Skewed Logic and subscribe and get more information during the week and Bible studies that you can do during the week. Um, So with that, let's keep going. The next thing that I want us to see is that singing should include new songs. And new song here implies new understandings of who God is, new mercies experienced, not just songs in the past with words that we have sung before, but things occurring now. And it doesn't mean that we can't use songs about the past or with words that we've sung before. Certainly, Those connect us with our Christian heritage. But the idea here is that worship should spring from hearts that are fresh with the wonder and the glory of it all. The product of new affections. And this requires a dynamic relationship with God. Bless his name in verse 2. God's name is the manifestation of his character. Names like provider, healer protector, prince of peace, mighty God, savior, friend. And to speak his name requires an understanding of his character. In fact, it's when we've experienced God in one of these ways as healer or protector or provider that it's even that much more powerful when we reflect that back to him in worship. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Our salvation is the pinnacle of our joy. It's the cause of our praise. A deep understanding of our state before God's help combined with a deep understanding of what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And it's the reality of this that caused the people of the Moat tribe to erupt in spontaneous praise. And wherever God's saving power is present, there his glory is will be also. Next we see that he is above all other gods, little g, gods. Look at verses 4 through 5 again. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In other words, the mere thought of people worshiping things made of wood, clay or stone, the created things, 
instead of worshiping the one who created them, is ridiculous. Yet we're guilty of doing this, aren't we? Our idols may not be of wood, clay, or stone in this culture, but they are just as worthless. Idols of comfort, reputation, security. And then to make the point even clearer, the psalmist gives us a visual of the awesome power and glory of the one true God. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The contrast is striking. Wood, clay, or stone, the created things on this hand. Splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty, the creator on this hand. Do you know God and what he has done for you? This is the source of our worship. The next thing that I want us to see in Psalm 96 is this exhortation to declare him, to declare what we know of him. Or the word used in this translation is ascribe, which means to attribute as a quality. And here it is used three times imperatively, meaning give God the credit that he is due. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And the interesting thing about this is we need to worship him. Not just for his glory, that would be enough, but also for our own good. We were created to worship God. It it is built into the very fabric of who we are. The tribes people in the video weren't told to worship. They weren't taught how to worship. They just did it. It was their natural response to the revelation of who God is and what he had done for them. So why did they respond so naturally in this way? Blaise Pascal, the great mathematician and philosopher, described it like this. He said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. We want to worship. We long to worship. We need to worship our Creator. C.S. Lewis also expresses this truth in his reflection on the Psalms. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. So as we encounter God through his word, through nature, through the person of Jesus, our experience is not complete until we thank him, praise him, and worship him, as we saw with the Moat tribe. And we see this response throughout Scripture as well. Think with me for a minute about how these people responded as they began to understand the glory and the love of God. David poured out his heart in music. Isaiah bowed down in worship. Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with precious perfume and with her hair. Moses longs for more of God's presence. Saul is transformed into Paul, and the rest of his life is lived in radical submission to the purposes of God. These responses, the Psalms of David, the bowing down, the longing for more, the life of obedience, this is worship. 
We were created to worship God. We were saved to worship God. In verse 8 of Psalm 96, it said, Bring an offering and come into his courts. Well, there's two parts of this offering to God that I want us to look at today. Our personal offering and our corporate offering. So how do we respond personally to God? Well, as we learned from Jeremy's message a couple weeks ago, Paul instructs us in Romans 12 to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to respond to God's mercy by the decision to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to be consecrating ourselves daily to the purposes of God, letting ourselves be empowered by His love. Worship is a lifestyle. We've been hearing that a lot over these last several weeks. It's giving every area of your life to God as a living sacrifice. It's loving and worshiping Him wholeheartedly because He has first loved us. Worship is a life submitted to the truth of God, and it is so much more than music and singing. It's how you treat your wife or your children or your neighbor or your coworker or the clerk at the grocery store or the irritating telemarketer that calls you at 8 p.m. on Friday night. We saw in the video that individual members of the Mok tribe began to give testimony of their belief in God. They were saying, Etau, I believe. And you remember the grandmother, she's bouncing and can just barely contain herself. She began connecting what she had learned about God with her own personal experience. And in particular for her, the transformation she saw her son going through. What we weren't able to see because we were limited by time is what happened next in the lives of the Moke people as they continued to respond to the truth of God. The people began to recognize the sin in their lives and they were convicted by the Holy Spirit to change. Their culture had been one of lies and deception and oppression. And in particular, as the men began to submit to God, they began to take responsibility for their families and loved their wives better and their children better. And they took responsibility for the lies that had ruled them in their past. The entire culture was changed. This is an offering of worship, a response to God for who He is and what He has done, expressed in the things we say and the way we live. We can deepen our understanding of this personal worship from the letters of someone known as Brother Lawrence, a humble cook that lived in a French monastery over 450 years ago. What can we learn from a cook that lived over 450 years ago, maybe you're asking? Well, Brother Lawrence was able to turn even the most commonplace menial tasks like preparing meals or washing dishes into acts of praise in communion with God. He had an extraordinary awareness of the presence of God in everyday life so that he was motivated to offer everything he did as worship unto God. And he believed that practicing the presence, he called it, was a skill, a habit that you can develop with God. One theologian sums up this idea with something he calls breadth prayers. It's the idea is to choose a brief sentence or a simple phrase that can be repeated to Jesus in one breath through the day. You are with me. I receive your grace. I'm depending on you. I want 
I want to know you. I want to belong to you. Help me trust you more. Or maybe a short phrase of scripture. For to me to live is Christ. You will never leave me or forsake me. You are my God. And the idea is to pray these things often so that they become rooted in your heart. Brother Lawrence would do this while he was washing dishes or sweeping the floor. So let us not fall into the trap of only worshiping God on Sundays when he deserves all of our lives. In verse 2 it said, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. We're to worship every day, not just Sunday, at these corporate settings, these corporate services. In fact, corporate worship should come from the overflow of our personal worship. And the Lord has been showing me that as I develop this personal worship or seeing God in everyday life, and as He changes my heart perspective, it changes what I actually bring to these corporate settings. So I'm not coming anymore, in my case, to do my job as the worship director or just to play a few songs or to be fed. All of those things are happening. But I'm coming primarily with an expectation that God will show himself to us in a mighty way and he's going to use all of us in the process. God wants all of us to participate. As Anton said a few weeks ago, there are no spectators in true worship. So what does the Bible say about our corporate response to God? Well, we know it's important to God that we worship together as the family of God. Even in the early times of the church, when meeting together was often a life or death situation, Christians were exhorted to worship corporately. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I think this is especially important in this current day and age when with all the technology and the social media, all of these things that can isolate us from other people and keep us in our homes. We need to remember that worshiping with other people is important to God. So as we think about these corporate times of worship, how should we view specifically the ministry of worship within the church? Well, first and foremost, it has to be transformational. It has to be more than just ritual. It should move us towards this lifestyle of worship that we've been hearing about and toward becoming a testimony of the gospel's power to this community and to the ends of the earth. Listen to what the author Richard Foster says about worship. Forms and rituals do not produce worship, nor does the disuse of forms and rituals. We can use all the right techniques and methods We can have the best possible liturgy, but we have not worshiped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. And then again in Isaiah 29, 13, we see this idea again. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. You know, so often I walk away from these Sunday experiences And I find myself talking about how good the worship was or maybe how bad the worship was. When in reality, what I need to be asking is, 
how well did I worship? Regardless of the circumstance, if it's, if it's one guy up here with a bad voice, maybe you guys feel that every Sunday, or if it's a 20-piece band with a choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus, regardless of the circumstance, how well did I worship? And I learned this in a really powerful way several years ago uh, when I had the opportunity to travel to Africa. Um, it was February, and, and I was serving at a church in Nashville, Tennessee, as the worship and missions pastor. And so this was really more of a missions capacity that I was going to Africa to look for places for us to send teams. And so we had just finished our big Christmas season, and we had had this huge production. We had had, we had the full you know, 20-piece band with the choir and everything. And it was great. It was an amazing experience. So here I am getting on a plane, 14 hours um, to Africa. And I'm, I'm going over there with Carter. He was the senior pastor of the church there in Nashville. And then also with a guy named Larry Warren, who was the head of um, African leadership. And so we arrive in Nairobi, and we're heading to our hotel. And Larry starts to tell us about what we're going to be doing the next day. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out to the bush, and we're going to basically take training out to the pastors. Larry's whole ministry is about taking the training out to the pastors so that they don't have to leave their families and their flocks to come to the city or, or to come to the United States to get the training. And so, so Larry asks me, he says, we get to our, our room, and Larry says, um, would you be willing to lead worship tomorrow? And I said, well, Larry, I don't have a guitar. I don't have music. You know, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. And he said, look, if I can find you a guitar, will you lead worship tomorrow? And so reluctantly I said, okay. Meanwhile, Carter um, says in a very humble voice, and I forgot to bring my underwear. Can you find a couple of pairs of underwear for me? (laughs) So I'm thinking, how is he going to find a guitar in the middle of Nairobi at whatever it was, 8 o'clock at night? Well, a couple hours later, he comes back, knocks on the door, a couple pairs of underwear, and he's got a guitar. Apparently, he paid somebody in a local bar to rent it for the weekend. And so I took the guitar, Larry left, sat down, opened up the case, and the guitar was just in shambles. I mean, it was just a piece of junk. It had a twig for a bridge. It had like a shoelace, you know, to put it around your neck. And I'm thinking, how am I going to lead worship with this guitar? I'm already out of my comfort zone in the middle of Africa. I mean, the, the water tastes weird and everything looks different. And so now I've got to put together a worship service. So I start doing that. The next morning we wake up. We drive a couple of hours into the bush, and we end up at, at this, this building, not quite a mud hut, but pretty darn close. And we walk in, and there's like 50 to 60 of these seminary students of all ages, and they are all dressed up to the hilt. I mean, ties, you know, slacks. The women are all in formal dresses. And so we came in, and I had managed to scrounge up a little bit of music, and I started leading worship. And one of the only songs I was able to find was this old Twilight Paris song, We Bow Down. And it goes, We bow down and we worship you, Lord. And so I'm leading, and I get to that chorus of We Bow Down, and literally all of the Africans hit the dirt. I mean, like in their ties and in the formal dresses, they all hit the ground. 
I was blown away. And so we kept, we kept on worshiping, and the tears were just flowing. And here we were having this amazing worship experience with this piece of junk guitar with a twig for a bridge and a, you know, a shoelace for a, a strap. And I remember on the flight back home just thinking about that experience and thinking about the Christmas experience the, the weeks prior, which was a great experience. I'm not knocking that at all. But what I realized is that regardless of the circumstance, it's about spirit touching spirit. And we can worship well in either and any circumstance. As I said, I lived in Nashville for many years, and there's a lot of great musicians in Nashville. But there isn't necessarily a lot of great worship in the churches. I think a lot of people confuse good music with good worship. And really, worship is about a heart devoted to God. The last thing I want us to see this morning is worship as the mission of the church. So we need to know him, we need to declare him, and we need to share him. Look again at verses 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Many people would say that missions is the goal of the church, and certainly it's a very, very important goal of the church, and I say that as a, as a former missionary. But I believe that worship is the primary goal of the church. In fact, Scripture tells us that all of history is moving toward the day when that purpose will be fulfilled by members of every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth. Revelation 5.9. And in Philippians 2.9-10 we read about the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A well-known Christian author, John Piper, writes about this goal of the church. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. So when we experience the delight that comes from fulfilling our purpose and worshiping God, we're motivated to share that with others. This is why we encourage our members to bring non-believers to these services so that they can be exposed to worship of the one true God. The Holy Spirit often works in the hearts of non-Christians in that way. Authentic worship of God is one of the most powerful testimonies we have to a lost and dying world. As we experience the grace of God, we will be more motivated to extend grace to others. As we experience the forgiveness of God, we will be more willing to extend forgiveness to others. And the more we understand and experience the delight found in the presence of God, the more 
we become burdened for the lost. If we had more time this morning, I would show you the next part of that video and what happened next. But what I will tell you is that they began to take what they had learned and what they experienced, and they began to share it with the neighboring tribes. And this often came at great personal cost because they had been at war with these neighboring tribes. They had been their enemies. And consequently, the whole region came to know Christ. So the question I I want us to think about this morning is, what does your worship look like today? Do you know him, who he really is? Are you responding to the call to declare him with every area of your life? And finally, are you doing your part to share him to this community and to the world? If you're like me, you have much room for growth in all of these areas. And so this morning, let's ask God to make us better worshipers. Worshipers who would join our voices with the roaring sea, with the exulting field, and with the trees of the field to say, the Lord reigns. Will you pray with me?